Well, good morning. My name's Wes Buchanan, pastor of Student Ministries here. Those were really cute fluorescent green kneeling pads, guys. <laughs> awesome, right? Um, been here for 12 years, student pastor. Love my job, love being a part of the community here at North. And as part of that, I um, get to share with you this morning. Students, you're going to hang in here with us today as Adam was announcement boy and I get to be preacher boy. So uh, you guys are in here with us this morning worshiping. Um, Larry is leading us through a series called uh, Summer Playlist. And uh, to me, essentially, that is uh, different folks sharing uh, each week what God has put uh, on their heart and mind to share uh, that week, not necessarily uh, tied one to another. And so you're going to get to hear from uh, Larry the last couple weeks and myself and then a bunch of a few other guys the rest of this summer, and so it's cool to see what God is doing each week in the lives of the people here at North. Two weeks ago, uh, Larry spoke on um, out of the book of Daniel, and Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then last week uh, called Man in the Furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also from Daniel. Before we get too settled, though, this is what I love to do. Uh, in a moment, you're going to get up, and you're going to go talk to a few people, Okay, and what you're going to do is you're going to learn their name, and you're going to share a piece of information. You're, you're going to share, uh, if someone were to ask you to describe God in three words, what three words would you describe God as? Now, you're not going to be tested on this. You're not going to be held to your answer. Um, I understand, everyone understands that you're being put on the spot right now. So first three words that come to your mind, whatever, however that falls in your heart, in your head, you're going to, you know, get, now if, if, if you need to sit, stay where you're at and let people uh, come to you, but uh, name a few different people and three words of how you would describe God. Why don't you do that now? Okay, you should have talked to a couple people by now, maybe one more person, and then make your way to your seat. All right, thank you. I appreciate you doing that. For some people, it's like the worst thing ever to have to get up and talk to the people around them. It's like super scary and anxious. And some people, it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'll talk to anybody. It's awesome. So thank you so much um, for doing that. Uh, raise your hand if you met someone for the first time. See, that's good, right? Okay. So what three words did you use to describe God? 
What three words did you hear other people say when they were describing God? Well, I'm going to put up a list. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but as I was thinking through, you know, how do we describe God? How do we think of God? Uh, How do we uh, try and be like God? These are kind of some common words that we would use uh, to describe God. And we have powerful, loving, peace. God is all-knowing, holy, compassion, gracious. God's faithful. He's patient, kind, gentle, infinite. He's alive. That third row, some of us may have some issues with. True, nonetheless, wrath, just, absolute, judge, truth, jealous, father. We finish with merciful, righteous. God is sovereign, mighty, creative, and caring. And when preparing for this message, I realized, you know, there's a lot of ways in which I would describe God, but there's a word that I feel like we miss, or I feel like I miss when I think about who God is and who I am in relation to him. And that word is joyful. Was, was joyful or joy one of your descriptive words when you described who God was? Most of us probably did not use that word, and I think we're missing out. I think we're missing um, the, the, the joy, the, the um, precious rejoicing because we don't think of God in that way. You know, um, there's some of you are numbers people, so it might help you to see some, you know, well, okay, so how much is joy talked about uh, maybe in, in Scripture? So we see that, that joy appears about 500 times in the Scripture. Now that's joy, joyful, rejoicing, it's the forms of joy. Um, so that may feel like a lot, may feel like a little, uh, but in comparison to other words like love, 700, or lovely, or loved, Faith and holy are both at 500, about the same amount as joy. And strength, 300. Peace, 250. Power, 200. Hope, 200. Judge, 200. And justice. Joy is mentioned by God over 500 times. And there's a lot of reasons to pursue joy. And it makes it more significant to know how much that he talked about it. So another way to think about it is this. Consider how you feel and what you think when you hear these phrases, God is joyful. Do you, per- do you perceive God as joyful? Do you see him as full of joy? Not just at times he has joy, but he's full of joy. He cannot be joy. God rejoices. Do you see him as a, as a God who rejoices? God enjoys his creation. His creation was good, and he enjoys it. And how do you feel about this? God enjoys you. Do you think God enjoys you? Do you feel like God enjoys you? We're going to take a deeper look um, in this, about um, joy today through the story of Nehemiah. And if you'd like to turn in your Bible, your Bible app, um, your U version. Um, you can open up to Nehemiah 8, and in a little bit we're going to get to that 
Uh, but let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for what we've experienced this morning, whether it's um, hanging out, meeting new people, thinking about who you are, singing, worshiping, recognizing you. We pray this morning that as we open up your word, um, your promise will continue to be true from Isaiah that when we read it, it never returns back to you void. So do what you would have in our hearts and our minds this morning. Uh, in your name, amen. So Nehemiah, all right, Nehemiah has a pretty crazy story. Nehemiah um, is a pretty awesome guy. And he writes the book of the Bible through the Holy Spirit. And uh, this book is part of the Old Testament. Uh, it's part of the historical books of the Old Testament, which essentially means this is the history of God's people, the history of God's story uh, being told uh, in these books. And so that's where we find the book of Nehemiah. Now, in a second, I'm gonna put a timeline up on the screen. And um, we pastors and teachers like to put up maps and pictures of cities back in the day and maybe even a timeline or two. I'm gonna put a slice of a timeline of, of God's story up on the screen. But I'm going to tell you why I'm going to do that. Because context is important. Okay, so if I asked you, what did you do yesterday? And your answer was, I got a massage. I'd be like, sweet, massage. But if I knew that you had just had one of the worst weeks of your life, and then you got a massage yesterday, that would mean something different to you. It would mean something different to me. So the context behind the story is significant. It, it enriches what we know and what we experience. Or if I were to say to you, you know, I tried some stuff that I saw on Pinterest and it looked exactly like it, but not really, except it looked nothing like it. I failed to complete whatever was on Pinterest. You would be amused or whatever, but if you saw it, it would make more sense. So, I saw a hedgehog cake on Pinterest, nailed it. Cookie Monster Cupcakes, nailed it. No. Um, minion, that's, it's not even close, nailed it, right? So seeing pictures, seeing the context behind things help us understand what's going on. So here is a, a slice of time uh, around Nehemiah, okay? Uh, and what we see here is 586 B.C., so 586 years before Christ was born, uh, the temple of God, where they worshiped, uh, you know, the spirit of God resided in Jerusalem, was destroyed, okay, by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. 586 to 539 was the Babylonian captivity, and essentially one of the darkest times in the history of God's people was this time frame. And this is, this is the time frame from which Larry spoke the last two Sundays uh, and having Daniel uh, share who God was. And then we see in 539 B.C., the Persians take over and they say, you know what? You can have Jerusalem. Jews you know, went, returned to Jerusalem uh, under the king of Persia. And then you go to 516 B.C., the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem. And so things are moving forward. 445 B.C. is the story of Nehemiah. And so th that's the broader context in which the story that God is telling as we go forward. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Okay, so that essentially meant that he served the king of Persia 
by being a cupbearer. And that meant that he tasted the wine. He tasted the drinks to make sure it was the best quality before it was given to the king. He also tasted the wine to make sure there was no poison in it. Because if you wanted to take down a ruler, take down the king, one of the ways in which you would do that is poison his drink. He would die. There's new leadership. So he assigned someone that he trusted, that he valued to be his cupbearer. And that's who Nehemiah was for the king of Persia. He was the cupbearer. He protected the king. He helped protect the country. So Nehemiah was trusted, he was valued, but Nehemiah was a Hebrew. So years before, he could have chosen to go back to Jerusalem when it was given back to God's people. That would have been the natural response for Nehemiah. Okay, we have Jerusalem back, I'm going to go back here and be with my family, be with my friends, this is where I'm going to be. But he chose to stay in Persia, and he chose to serve as the cupbearer for the king and for the kingdom. While he was serving the Persian king, he hears word from Jerusalem. He hears word from his family, his friends, that the walls around Jerusalem are being taken down. They're being torn down and that they were in danger. So you may hear, okay, the walls tore down. To put this in context, it would be like knowing that your brother or sister was a pilot and they were up in the air flying on 9-11 and then you hear about 9-11. Like that's the kind of danger and trepidation and anxiety and fear that he would have felt. Or that you know your family and friends are missionaries in a different country and you hear that that country is being attacked because they're Christians and they're being persecuted and being killed. That's the kind of feeling that Nehemiah would have felt. So he felt like his family, his friends, Jerusalem, is in danger. So he's worried. Because these walls meant safety. So he was saddened. He was grieved. And his first response was to pray. He asked God for help. Nehemiah then goes to the king and he asks a favor. He says, you know, can I take a leave of absence from being your cupbearer and go back to Jerusalem and help build back these walls. Nehemiah must have felt very strongly about asking the king to return back to Jerusalem. You don't, you don't just walk into the king of Persia and say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm your cupbearer and I'm valued and I'm trusted. I'm going to take a leave of absence to go help my family um, I'm sure that they'll still find good wine for you, and they probably won't poison you while I'm gone. Can I go anyway? That's just not something that you did, but he felt strongly because his relationship with the Lord that he needed to go before the king. He humbled himself, and he asked for permission to go. So, Nehemiah, he begins his preparations. As the king says, yes, you can go. And I'm, only, I'm also going to give you resources. So the king valued him so much, he said, yes, go serve your people. I'm even going to help you with some of those resources. So he began his preparations. Nehemiah was a smart guy, so he went at night to check out the walls of 
Jerusalem. Now this is, this is a little bit more context, okay? So this is what Jerusalem would have looked like, essentially. So that's the wall around Jerusalem. On the left-hand side there you have the temple that had been rebuilt uh, years before. And these are those bars that you see next to one another, those are gates or entrances and exits to Jerusalem. Okay, at the bottom right, next to the blue, you have the valley gate. And if you follow that around the right side, you have the dung gate, fountain gate, and water gate. This is not Nixon's water gate. This is actually a water gate. Okay? So the far right side that you see over there is the primary area in which Nehemiah helped rebuild the wall. And all those other smaller words on there that are hard to read are different groups of people that lived within that area. And on the right over there you have the Levites, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them in a bit. Over time, though, Nehemiah was fed, was a lot of things came upon him, forces that were trying to stop the rebuilding of the wall. So the Samaritan army, the leaders of the Samaritan army, would threaten them, they would attack them, they would uh, make plots against them, they would mock them, they'd make fun of them. There were spiritual attacks that were going on, conspiracies of more harm, more harm against their family, harm against people who were rebuilding the wall, Many of God's people doubted that this could even happen. There was discouragement when times were slow and the repair was not going as fast as they wanted and there was fear. Yet, through it all, Nehemiah met those challenges with prayer and with strength. So this is where we pick up the story in Nehemiah 8. So if you have your Bible, love to have you follow along or it will be on the screen. But we pick up the story here in Nehemiah 8 when the walls have been finished. So there's all these attacks, all these things have happened, they were torn down, there's now being rebuilt back up, and this is right after the walls had been uh, put back together. And we see here in verse 1, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, that's God's word, which the law had commanded for Israel. We're going to skip to verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7 and 8, and bear with me. <clears throat> the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherbiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, which was God's word, making it clear to them and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Now, I could have skipped over the names of all the Levites there and just said Levites, um, but I want to just take a little sidebar here for a moment. God doesn't just care about groups of people or churches or cities or states 
or countries or the globe. He cares about individuals. So God takes the time to mention people in just one of those little categories that you see over there. He takes the time to mention their names. If that was your side of the city and you, you thought you were going to die and the attacks were happening and the, the wall comes down and then the wall comes back up, you, you would be you know, praising God as part of God's story. And then he mentions you by name because he cares about us as individuals. I just love that. So that's why I embarrass myself reading those words. Then Nehemiah, the governor... Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites, who we just read about, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to our Lord God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, why were they weeping? I think they were weeping because they had doubt that it would ever even happen. They doubted that God would be faithful and rebuild the wall. They thought, oh, here we go again. We're going to be destroyed. Things are never going to, we're not going to be protected. Uh, they, I think they were weeping because they were still scared. Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? What about the attacks that are coming up? And he says, don't weep. Don't mourn. The day is holy. So Nehemiah 10 this is our key verse. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is what it's like to party with God. You have, you have food, you have drinks, you have dancing, you have singing, you have worship, you have sharing. I love that in the midst of this party, he's like, send some to those who have nothing. I love that about God, celebrating, not worrying about tomorrow, praising and rejoicing. God wants us to rejoice. You know, to rejoice or to have joy, it's not just a good idea. I mean, I think it's a good idea. But it's not just an idea. It's actually a command from the Lord that we rejoice and that we experience joy. And here's where we find it as a, as a command amongst other places in Scripture. We see in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I just remember that song when I was a little kid. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. See? <laughs> so good. That's why we sang that song. It's a commandment from the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. But here's what's cool about this particular verse. Philippians 4, 4. The context around it is not just after some really successful building of a wall. It's not after some big victory. It's in the midst of daily choosing to follow God, in the midst of hard times. So if you go to the two verses before it, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. They have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. These two women were fighting. They loved the Lord. They served with Paul. They were sharing the gospel, but their conflict with one another was distracting to them. It was distracting to other people. 
So then we get this command in the midst of daily struggle, figuring our faith out, living with other people. This is where we find the command, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's not just after the big, awesome moments. It's daily life where we rejoice. Having joy in the Lord does not mean perfect and painless lives. You probably know that already, right? It just means that whether good times or bad, we have a mind like Christ and rejoice in the Lord. And here's what I mean. Christ, his joy was perfected at the cross. His joy was found perfected through the cross that we see in Hebrews. How does that, how does that even happen? There's something that God does in us through tough times. Our faith is made perfect. It's refined. Okay, so hear me say that rejoicing or joy um, is not just a feeling. It can be. It can be a great feeling. Uh, but joy and rejoicing isn't necessarily a feeling all the time. It's not just a never-ending party, even though it can be a party. It can be a feeling. It can be a party, but not necessarily those all the time. There's a lot of times when we choose joy and we rejoice when things are just normal or when things are really tough. This is what it would look like if joy was just a feeling. Check this out. So a really cool movie out uh, that's right, right now. I haven't even seen it yet, but I really want to. It's cartoon. It's PG. Don't judge me. Uh, but Pixar put out this really cool um, video, and obviously the illustration breaks down because we're not controlled by things that happen in our head and that tells us what to do. It tells us what to say. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have choice. God would not be asking us to choose certain things. But joy isn't just something that is forced upon us. It's something that we choose to do. It can be a feeling. It can be an experience. Uh, 
Um, so I have to kind of make lists um, when I think through a concept, and so I kind of have to think about it in opposites. So if you, if you were to, to write joy is and joy is not, what would those things be? Um, for me, I've just pulled some of these from Scripture, some of my own experience, but um, hopefully this gives a better, better picture. Joy is saying yes to God's plan. Joy is not doing what makes you feel good. Joy is comfort in times of trouble. Joy is not hiding from your troubles. Joy is letting the Holy Spirit guide your decisions. Joy is not being led by your own selfish ambition. Joy is freedom in Christ. Joy is not drunkenness and immorality. Joy is working through conflict. Joy is not holding things against other people. As good as that may feel, holding things against people is not joy. Joy is worshiping Jesus. Joy is not bringing glory to yourself. Joy is when we are still and we know that he is the Lord. Joy is not when we rely on our own strength. And for me, this kind of encapsulates what joy is. Joy is forever and eternal. Joy is not temporary. So if something is temporary in itself, it cannot be joy. Because joy is of the Lord. The Lord is forever. So joy is eternal. You know, um, you may have heard the story when I was in the seventh grade. I moved from Kansas to Maryland. Kansas was this small, um, white, middle-class town. And Maryland, where I moved to, was a bigger city, melting pot, diverse population, diverse economics. So I'm starting over in a new school, new church, new friends, everything, and I'm going through puberty to top it all off. Woohoo for cracked voices. So it was a tough time. I cried a lot, kind of laid around a lot, and my dad sometimes would cry with me. Sometimes he'd pull me aside and say, do you remember when we prayed about if we were supposed to make this move or not, and you felt strongly that he was leading us there? Yeah, I remember that, Dad. Have you seen God faithful, been faithful in your past? Yeah, I've seen him been faithful in the past. So let's hold on to that. Life may stink right now, but we're going to find the joy of the Lord, and we're going to be strong because of it. So most likely, you're in one of three places this morning. The first place is that you do not believe that Jesus is who he said he was. You haven't placed your faith, your belief in who Jesus Christ is. And joy for you feels like it's always just past your grasp. The good news is he is exactly who he says he is. And he's waiting for you to give you that joy, to give you that peace. The risk is, if this is you, here's the risk, that you will believe the lies of the evil one and that you'll never come to know him. That's the risk. 
Uh, this, the uh, second person would be a believer, okay? You believe that Jesus is who he said he is, but you're in a really, really tough place. It stinks. And you're finding strength in God's joy, but it's this weird mix of sweetness with the Lord mixed with just awful, gut-wrenching time of your life, all jumbled together. The good news is he hears you, and he knows you, and he's perfecting your faith. The risk is that you would give up on seeking God's joy, and as a believer, you become bitter. The third person would would be a believer. You believe Christ is who he says he is, and things are great. There's feelings of joy and happiness like around every corner. You can't wait to see what tomorrow holds. The good news is that you're being blessed and things are amazing. The risk is that there are things in your life that you are finding happiness in that are temporary and that when they are gone, your faith will feel shaken and that you'll feel like you've lost your way. So like Nehemiah, when he went through tough times, took it to the Lord, and then even in celebration, took it to the Lord, had a party, rejoiced in the Lord, good or bad, I pray that we can seek and find the joy of the Lord because that is where we find our strength. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that um, you are joy. Thank you for the lessons that we learned from Nehemiah. Help us to be reminded this week. Speak to us in our our quiet time. Speak to us through other people, reminding us that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we want to rejoice just like him. In your name, amen.